joy to be lead pastor around here. just want to say if you're new, welcome. We're so glad that you are with us. How many of you went on spring break in the last kind of week or two? Yeah, and you're back. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, so we take this like spring break before the break, and we were out in Colorado about now four weeks ago. And coming back along I-70, one of my daughters from the back seat of our Honda Odyssey minivan says, Dad, what is the Cold War? And I'm like, I love that question. There's nothing like just the open plains of Kansas to unpack things like the German aggression of World War II, you know, and, and then the rise of the Soviet Empire all the way to the fall of the Berlin Wall. And, and of course, you know, that, that led us to breaking down all the different, like, economic systems of capitalism and socialism and communism, you know, just as one does when you're driving along I-70 with uh, a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 10-year-old. My wife, by the way, was completely out of the conversation. She was reading, I think, teenage fiction, as she, as she does. But there we were. And, man, we're just, we're just in it. My heart's soaring, having this, like, beautiful conversation. And, of course, you know, capitalism wins out in the compare-contrast. But as we're starting to realize we need to go to the bathroom, and here we are. Um, in, in fact, we stopped at the best stop along I-70 in Kansas. You know where that is? Oasis, that's right, in Colby, Kansas, there's a Starbucks, a Cadoba, you know, and it's just, there's a dog park, there's all sorts of things there, and everyone stops there, and as we're pulling in to the gas station, um, I say, hey, girls, this is such a great conversation, but, you know, here's the deal about any economic system, is that humans are broken, we're all greedy, and every system gets corrupt in, in the end. And they're like, yeah, yeah, dad. And I go, oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll continue this conversation later. And they're like, do we have to? I'm like, yes, we'll just get some gas and we'll, we'll continue the, this deal. So we pull in and it's always crowded there. But there's one pump that's open. And there was a reason it was open because it didn't work. But I didn't know this. So I pull in. The girls get out. They go to the restroom. I got to go to the restroom, right? And it's cold. It's slushy, the whole thing. But I'm like trying to figure out to get it work. Won't take my car. And I'm like, dang. So then I got to go find another pump. None of them are open, so I pull behind another car that appears to be close to done. And I'm behind her, and I get out of my car. I'm just kind of waiting. The reason I'm out is because I'm like, well, I'll grab a squeegee. Everything's so messy and slushy, and I'll clean the windshields. And right as I have that thought, so does she. And she goes and, and looks in her little bucket for, for it, and there's not a squeegee. And so she goes to the one across to another island to get the squeegee. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just, just kind of wait here, cold, and, you know, the whole thing. So then she starts to squeegee. And it's like, I'm, I mean, I, sorry, this just sounds so condescending, but it's like she's never squeegeed before, you know. I mean, she's applying no pressure. She's just, like, streaking up her windshield, the whole thing. I, I think maybe I should help, but then I think that would be creepy. So I decide not to. And, uh, but, but my impatience is rising. i got to go to the bathroom. And right at this time... Another guy pulls up in a Dodge Charger, and it's, it's in just the adjacent, kind of on the other side, same island, other side, gas pump, and, uh, and he is blaring his, like, 
his stereo. I mean, it's like doing this kind of thing. And, and I don't know about Colby, Kansas, but if they have a mafia, this guy would be the Al Capone of it. And I mean, it is so loud and it's just like, it's so offensive, you know? And it's like, he's like, the noise pollution is just the most inconsiderate thing. And I think about saying to him, hey, buddy, would you mind turning down your stereo? But then I think, I'm in a Honda Odyssey minivan and he's in a Dodge Charger. And he probably has something a little more fierce in the trunk of his charger than I do in my minivan. So I don't think, like, I, I go, okay, I'm just going to grin and bear this. Meanwhile, gal in front of me is just smearing her windshield back and forth. And just the, the, the impatience is just rising. And then I get, a, I get this thought. I notice that guy in the Dodge Charger, he's not there for gas. You know what he's there for? A squeegee. A squeegee. And I think... He needs a squeegee. I need a squeegee. I can't address his music thing because he'll beat me up. But you know what I can do? I can get the squeegee before he gets the squeegee. And by the way, let me just give you a feeling of my pain in this moment. Remember, I have to go to the bathroom. I forgot to tell you I'm wearing uh, shoes that have holes uh, in the bottoms, the soles. And so all the slush, it's like my socks are now wet and the whole thing. And, and I, did I mention I have to go to the bathroom? And so I'm feeling all this. And then there's the music. So you got to hear the music. Here's what it sounds like. Right? But it was way louder. Let's bring it up just a little bit louder. I want you to feel my pain. Okay, maybe just an octave. I think it was, yes, that, that's about what it was. And I get this thought that I'm going to get this squeegee. And I'm watching the You know, she's just spreading the stuff. And I'm looking at Dodge Charger out the phone guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting. I start to kind of like inch a little closer to the gas kind of pump. And then pretty soon, she gets done, and she goes over to the gas pump, and she goes under the hose with the nozzles into the car, and she goes to place it in, and I pounce. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me, and she turns around, and she's trying to get the nose loud, you know, there's a long hose in this whole thing, and I'm like, pardon me, sorry, so excuse me, the whole thing is really weird, very, very awkward, but I'm telling you people that I got the squeegee. I got it. It was mine, and I had it. And he didn't. And how are you guys doing this morning? So awesome. I got it. And this is why Paul, in the, his New Testament letter of Ephesians, says to you and he says to me, this isn't just about economic systems. This isn't just about the greed and others. He says this, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or squeegee man <laughs> who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul uses that word for greed twice in this passage we've been camped out on now for a couple of few weeks. The word in the Greek is pleonexia. And I love how one of the commentators just describes it. He says, it is a ruthless self-seeking. That's what greed is. It is a ruthless self-seeking. And you know what's so weird, slippery about greed? It's that we don't see it in ourselves. We see it in economic systems. 
We see it in other people. We see it in politicians. We see it in celebrities. We see it in the 1%. But it is so hard to see in ourselves. It is so hard. You know why? Because greed has, when it's in us, it comes with great explanation. Rationalization. Justification. Greed in someone else is so unbecoming and so of unlovely about them. We can spot it. This is why Jesus says, when you see a speck of dust in someone else's eye, like, just be careful, because the likelihood is you have a log protruding out of your own. This is why he says, in a different place, he says, watch out. Be on your guard against every form of greed. Look at this with me. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I had a friend, his name's Patrick. He said, you know what's so interesting about greed? All the other kind of like high-profile sins, all sins are the same, by the way, but the high-profile ones, like you generally know. Like last week, we talked about sexual brokenness. You generally know when you have a problem. What's so slippery about greed is we just don't know, and yet we all suffer from it. Jesus talks about these kinds of things more than he does love, more than he does a prayer, because he knows it's so deep in every single one of us. This is why he says, you got to like beware. you got to be vigilant. you got to watch out on every form, not just one little form. may not be for you financial. It could be for you your time. It may not be for you your time. It could be your stuff. It may not be for you any of those things. It could be your presence. You're so guarded. You're so secluded. But I just think as we look at the scriptures and as we look at our own lives, here's what would be most helpful is if we just start from the place of, okay, I got a greed issue. I've got a greed issue. I've got a squeegee fascination. That didn't sound really good, did it? Sounded weird, didn't it? But I think something would break free and loose in every single one of us if we started with the premise, God, this is in me. This is in me. Would you show me how and where this is in me? Because I don't want to live that way. I don't, be, I don't want to be locked up like that. You don't want to know the most telling moment of the, of the whole gas station scene was? So I was parked behind the car that was getting the gas. She moves on and leaves. And now I've got to get my car into the gas, like, island, right? But I didn't want to let go of my squeegee to do it. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I was not going to let go of this thing. So I, it's all dripping wet. So I get in my car, and I'm driving, sliding in. And it just became this picture. Oh, my gosh. I was just talking with my girls about the greed of economic systems. And look at me, this weird man driving with a squeegee. To pull up to the gas pump, that's when I knew. That's when it hit me. And we all need moments like that, don't we? We all need moments where we go, oh, the log's in my own eye. Oh, this is like, this is a deal, isn't it? This is, this is something I need to tend to. And as I reflected on that moment for me, I started thinking about what was going on in me? I say, I think it would be helpful to just go, what was happening in me in that gas station? Because, by the way, it's just a funny little frivolous story, right? But I think it speaks to deeper things, does it not? I mean, it always speaks to deeper things. And so it started for me, 
This, you can just kind of call this the greed, you know, I don't know, the greed progression or something. It started with, I had a desire, not in the least, which was to go the restroom, but it ultimately became around a squeegee, and it went unfulfilled. Then there was the issue of my perceived sense of scarcity. There was no squeegee at our island. There was one another island away, and it was occupied. By the way, I just had this thought. I wonder how many squeegees there were, so I called Oasis about 15 minutes ago. It was a very fun conversation. I just have a weird question for you. <laughs> Turns out they have 12 gas pumps. When in the very least, they had six of these babies, but I was locked in to the scarcity mentality. That led me to feeling like a victim. The whole world is against me. The card reader, the slow gal streaking her windshield, Mr. Dodge Charger Al Capone, my shoes have holes in them and my socks are now wet. The whole world is against me. And that led me to, I felt entitled. I gotta get something out of this deal because I deserve better. And guess what was going on in my heart? I deserve better than him. I'm smarter than her. Everything in my brain began to do this compare, this contrast. And you know where that was coming from? I felt powerless. How did I feel powerless? Well, I've got Dodge Charger, man, whom I want to confront, but I don't know how to. And in fact, I feel threatened. And so something about me feels incapacitated to address the situation in what I think is a manly kind of way. And I'm feeling insecure about that. And so what does that lead me to? I become fixated. Now, it's really not on the squeegee that I'm fixated upon. What am I fixated upon? I'm fixated on me. This is why the Apostle Paul calls greed idolatry. Look with me here. Just We go right back to the passage. And for, for those of us who are, you know, for the women in the room, you're like, well, I don't like being excluded in the scriptures when it's translated a certain way, but I'm fine with it here. This works great. A greedy man <laughs> seems to make sense to me. Okay, notice it's all in the plural. It's all leading up to that. It, this includes us all. Who is an idolater? What is idolatry? Idolatry is just basically putting anything in the place of God. God deserves the highest affection. God deserves our, our deepest devotion. God is the one who can most fulfill us. And actually, when we do that, we're, we're practicing the very temptation out of the garden in the very beginning where sin and brokenness first entered the world. What was the temptation? The temptation to the first human beings, as is so beautifully told in the first book of the Bible, is that you can become like God. This is why God doesn't want you to eat from the, from the tree, because you can become like him. Oh, we can become like him? And there was something that maybe aspired towards that. 
And in that very core moment in human history is when idolatry began, where God was removed from his rightful place and we inserted actually ourselves. We inserted ourselves. Paul uses the same phrase. This wasn't just, you know, by happenstance that he writes it. If we look at another letter in Colossians, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed, he said, which is idolatry. He's saying that's what the core kind of thing is. So I just want to pause for a second. Like, that was my progression. And it's around a silly thing like a squeegee, but it really leads and speaks to deeper things. And so I just want to ask you, what is your squeegee? What are you most going after? How have you most put yourself, become fixated on that thing? And it can take the forms of ambition. Maybe you're just trying to, like, man, you're trying to grow your company. Maybe it can take the, the form of, um, uh, of approval. And just like, I, I just want everyone to love me, and I, I just want to like, like beat everyone else out, and I just am pursuing this sense of I just want to be loved by everybody. I'm going to do whatever that takes. Maybe for you it's appetite. Maybe it's just, man, my thing is experience. I'm an experience junkie, or I'm just going after the next thing to try to fill up. But it ultimately, whether it's through a pursuit of power, a pursuit of pleasure, a pursuit of the approval of others, it will all lead to us putting ourselves in the place of God and in one measure or another having a desire that gets thwarted believing in the scarcity of our world developing a victim mentality becoming entitled over and where does entitlement lead by the way we've talked about this over the last few weeks exploitation of others that's ultimately where it leads. It comes oftentimes from our own insecurity, our own dissatisfaction with ourselves, our own powerlessness, and it leads us to becoming fixated on self. And that is so unbecoming. It's just absolutely no way to live. But if you've been tracking with us in this letter from Ephesians, Paul gives us an entirely different way to walk an entirely different way. He says, hey, desire's not bad. It's not bad to desire to go to the bathroom. It's not bad to desire a squeegee. But actually, in our hearts, when we get locked onto something, you know what we're most wanting in the depth of our heart? We're most wanting God. G.K. Chesterton, the great British uh, author, he put it this way. He said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. And what he's saying there is that we have all of these desires that when we latch on, we become fixated and we want to just go after and we'll abandon everyone and we'll trample over everything to, to get there. What he's saying is actually, it's if we just listen to that core desire and we trace it all the way back, is that we're actually looking for God. C.S. Lewis, also the, the great Oxford professor, puts it this way. It's rather poignant for, uh, for the story today. He says, God made us, he invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol or gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn 
or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy, in other words, to fulfill our desires in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. That's powerful, isn't it? And so it's not that our desires are bad. It's that they, we actually come up short with them. It's actually we get distracted in them. It's actually we get locked on to lesser things. Scarcity. There's no scarcity. God is the one who owns the, all the cattle on a thousand hills. God is the one who breathed creation into existence. God is the one who said there's not just one squeegee here to share there just could be like 12, and you just didn't know it. The scriptures say that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So on earth and in heaven, there is this, there's this picture of abundance for you and for me. And we're not victims. What does Paul say throughout this entire book? He says, you are heirs. You are heirs. Co-heirs with Christ, he says, in a different place. And what does that mean? That means basically that we're his sons and we're his daughters. We are his kids. And so you don't have to feel like a victim. Like you belong in the house of God. You belong in the deepest places of his heart. And you're, that doesn't lead to entitlement. You know what that means? When you're an heir, you are entrusted with the state. You are entrusted with all the abundance. You're entrusted with all the things. He's going to provide, look. There's the most beautiful safety net of all, the God who loves you, who saved you, who walks with you. And you don't have to feel powerless anymore because you have the very power of heaven called the Holy Spirit. It's amazing when Jesus is telling another story. He says, you know, what good dad, if their kid asks for an egg, he'll give him a scorpion. Like what good dad, if he asks for a loaf of bread, is he going to give him a stone. What good dad would like give him a snake if he asked for uh, something else? And he's like, no, how much more will your father in heaven, he says, give you the Holy Spirit as the greatest gift of all to provide when we need his provision, to meet us, to walk with us, to empower us. We have all of these things. And instead of being fixated, we're free. We're free. We're free from the clutching of whatever our squeegee might be. We're free from trying to trample over others. We're free from trying to prove ourselves. We're free. And the net effect of these is really fascinating. Who wants to be around somebody that, that follows this progression? No one, right? This is a very unhappy person. Now, there's pain, there's brokenness, there's grieving, there's sorrow. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a dude sitting in his car clutching a squeegee and trying to drive. That's what we're talking about. And that always leads to isolation. Where does this life lead? When we're having God meet us in the deepest places of our hearts. When we operate from, it's all his and it's abundance. And guess what? We're his kids. And we just get to be entrusted with it. And now that means that we can actually give it away because we know that God will continually provide in the ways that he most knows. I need his provision. And we have his Holy Spirit 
which will always lead to strengthening, encouraging, and the comforting of others. And we're a free people. This will always lead to community. You could say this is the progression of greed. This is the progression of generosity, a free people trusting in a loving God in the most practical, real-life manner, day-to-day, in our workplace, in our family place, in our friendship place. We've been talking all along through all the course of all these things in Ephesians, how some things break relationship and how if we walk in the way of love, it will always grow relationship. And that's why we're doing giving plans today, by the way, because as a community, as a family, we go, first of all, this is what a family does. This is how we live together as a generous people. Secondly, we go, because the scriptures command us to walk and live this way. Third, it's because this is how we become an arrows out people and join God in the advance of his kingdom. And I just think in turn, it's like, man, the stuff going on in our midst is so amazing. Like even the midst of snowstorms and spring breaks and everything else. I mean, we've got teenagers coming to the Lord. We've got middle schoolers coming to the Lord. We had like 42 adults in this room. Uh, it was beautiful. It was the Sunday I wasn't here. It's like, no, oh, I'll take note of that. That's awesome. When 42 people stood and said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. We have the food insecure being served, fresh produce on a monthly day. I mean, there's so many things, adoption and foster communities rising up. There's so many things in our midst. And how does that happen? It happens by people who say, God meets us in our deepest place and he brings us joy and it's all his all the way to we want to be most free in our lives. And we do it lastly because that's how Jesus lived his life when he walked here on earth. If we go back to this Ephesians passage, it's just really clear. It says this, therefore be imitators of God. This is one of the ways that we imitate God. How? Well, as beloved children, we walk in love just as Christ also loved you. And Jesus gave himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. This is what Jesus did. If there was one person in human history that could have done it the other way, pursued all of his ambitions, all of his appetites, sought all the approval in the world, it could have been him, and he would have, it, he, it would have worked for him. But instead, he flipped it all, and he gave himself up. Really, in the model here on the right. I just want to ask you, if, if you're not a you know, Jesus follower here this morning, um, I just want to say, that's okay. That's actually, that's awesome that, that you're here. I just want to ask you a question. Like, take, for example, suspend for the moment the question of, is Jesus real? Did he really die? Did he really, was he really raised from the dead and all that? Just hold, hold on to that for a second. But I just want to ask you, as you think about our world, is this the more accurate picture of the world that we live in? And wouldn't you just, wouldn't you say... I, that what our world most needs is a people who are living as free. I mean, whether, whether, whether you get all the things, don't know what, about the Holy Spirit, but just go, like a people are no longer exploiting, but they know that they're entrusted to give things away. A people who are no longer just trying to get all that they can, no matter whether they have to cheat, steal, or do whatever to do it. But they go, actually, I'm just trusting God, and I'm going to meet people with a hospitable heart. I mean, isn't that what the world most needs? And I just want to leave you with that question. For however this might land with you or, or feel to you, 
I just go, there's something about And when it happens, when we experience, I mean, this doesn't surprise us anymore, right? But isn't it the most refreshing thing in the world when someone moves out in a generous way? It doesn't just take your breath away. So now let me ask those of us who say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. And we look at this picture and we go, how much am I living from the left side with a scarcity mentality, a victim mentality, entitled to things? And God, how are you calling me to the right side? Because you and I are what the world most needs. You and I are what the world most need right now. A generous people with our time, with our spirit, with our talents, with our stuff, in the cracks of life, in the concentrated parts of life. You and I are what the world most need right now to surrender our squeegees and to say, God, there's plenty of them. How do I give them around? That's why he's put us on the planet. You and I are what the world most need and we need you as a church. We need you as a church wherever you are in this. When I talk to people who are learning to or living from this right side, it is so infectious. It is so incredible. I talked to a guy named Derek uh, recently. And I just, I, I mean, he was telling me stories. Stories like, he said when he was in college, he, all he had, he was like, he had 50 bucks. I don't know if it was a week. I think it was a week. He had 50 bucks a week. But he was introduced to this biblical command of tithing, which means you give 10% of whatever you have. He's like, five, I, to give $5, A, that won't, that'll just be a drop in the bucket, and B, I, I don't have $5 to give, to give away. But he began to practice, and it was just this incredible moment. And he said, and then one Sunday, I'm preparing to go to church, and I hear this, like, give all of it. And he's like, what? That's clearly not God. And then he heard it again, give all of it. And like, what? He goes, okay, well, then I'll bring $10 instead of 50 and I'll give all of it. You know, he's like doing this whole thing. But he just had this, like, he had this, he had already enough to kind of trust that if it was God and not just that he ate crazy tacos the night before, but if it truly was God, that he could trust him. And he said, by the minute I walked in the doors, you know, he goes, I just knew that really was what God was wanting to do. And it led to this crazy story. And I tell you this story not because God, we're trying to say God's a genie or anything like this, but simply that God provides and his world is abundant. So he said, when I arrived that night at church, I had a quarter tank of gas. It took me 45 minutes to get to church and 45 minutes to get back. I was not even sure I could get back on a quarter tank of gas. He said, I did. And then I drove back the next night and I went to work. And he goes, for almost a week, that gas tank stayed at a quarter. To the point where he's like, man, I, like, I need more money so I can just give it away. You know, like that. There was that whole thing. Now, please hear me on this. This is not that prosperity kind of thing. What this is, and, and what he'll tell you, is it led to deeper relationship, to deeper trust. And time and time again, when he entered the military, and they were worried about their, their young cadets, and they asked every cadet to do a budget, he made one, and it didn't match. There was, a, there was red, and you know what that red pointed to? His tithe dollars, and he had a supervisor say, why are you doing that? That makes no sense, and he explained to her, here's why, here's why, and he goes, every time God showed up, whether it was his $5 in college, whether it was here, and then he gets married, and he gets married to a gal named Jessa, 
Now, Jess's background, she grew up in a Jewish home. And over time, they begin coming to Heartland. She walks through our Alpha course. She gives her life to Jesus. She gets baptized. And Derek's the whole time going, I love generosity. I love living this way. I just don't know how to approach this because she's not going to want to do this. And finally, he like, he like offers the conversation. Hey, the Bible kind of says that we should. She goes, well, I know. That's how I was raised. My grandfather, my father, this is who we've always been as a Jewish people. To the very foundations and roots she saw. And he's like, oh man, I was, just, I was just making a mess of the whole thing. God had this thing totally in charge. And they together have been living this beautiful journey. And I asked if he wouldn't sit down on camera and just say, tell me more about your heart. Tell me more about why you do this. And here's what he says. With the, the thoughts that I used to have as I sat listening, um, because I did struggle with it for a little while, and I didn't know if this was, uh, you know, a directive from uh, a man or a woman I didn't know, um, or if it was God who really—that's why I was sitting in that chair to begin with—was uh, to to try to connect with God. Um, and in the very beginning, I was even wondering, was God there? Um, so as I continued to sit in that seat, hearing those words about giving and what it meant to give, um, I just stayed open to the idea of it. I didn't close it off. Uh, I, di I didn't give right away, I, I mainly just because I didn't know, I struggled, but I stayed open to the idea. And it was in time that God kind of whittled what little reservations I still had remaining uh, away and and I allowed him to do it. In the beginning, you know, he created everything with a few spoken words. Um, he takes care of everything to, to this day. He takes care of all the birds, uh, how much more so me, who he died for. Giving was a gift. Uh, and and, and it, it wasn't a requirement. It wasn't uh, uh, some kind of you know, pure do this because I say it. There was something to be uh, uh, released in my life. Um, and and it started with giving. Uh, giving immediately branched out into so many other things. And God got me through and he provided. Um, and it, it was done so in a way, obviously, that was life-changing, but um, also in a way that helped me understand uh, a lot of things about giving. Um, so that it wasn't necessarily what I put in, I get out. Um, that it was more about look, this is a place of trust. This is a place of relationship. The minute you let go of this thing that drives you today, that takes care of you today, takes care of all of your needs, all of your bills, all of you know, your sustenance, and the minute you let go of that and are willing to grab hold of me, um, that's when my relationship with him could get deeper. Uh, and, and it was in the midst of all of that, that at that point, tithing wasn't even it wasn't even something I had to think about at that point. It became second nature. I couldn't wait to from, from then on. All of it is God's. He gave me the talents that I have today, the life, the breath in my lungs, and therefore everything that I have the ability to earn is His because I'm His. Um, so He lets me keep the 90 and only ask for 10. I think that's a pretty good deal. Everyone's journey looks different, but that the, the end result is very much the same.
we're all at a different place with, uh, you know, financially, and we're all at a different place with what, you know, each dollar means to us. Um, we could have a whole lot of it and never have been uh, nudged by God before to give, or we could have very little. Um, and, you know, I've been getting nudged for years. But once the decision is made to let go and to trust, um, it starts to look very similar. Those paths kind of converge uh, into this uh, walk with God. That's exactly what it is. Um, uh, step by step, just allowing, uh, as you give, allowing God to respond in however he chooses to respond, which is pretty much always uh, well beyond anything we could have imagined.